I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting, the only podcast focused on your career, health, and wealth after consulting. This week, we welcome Joya Cousin to the studio. Joya is a former management consultant and now runs her own art business. Joya, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Ken. It's great to be here. You bet. So, Joya, I have to tell you, I think you're the first artist we've ever had on the show. I would love to hear a little bit how this came to be. <laughs> well, thanks so much. It's great to be the first at something. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm a full-time artist and I have been probably in terms of business for the last three years or so, but I started painting sort of for myself back in 2017, but I had a kind of a roundabout way towards becoming an artist. It wasn't something that I necessarily dreamed about. You know, in university, I majored in computer science and accounting and went straight to work for Ernst & Young. And then a couple of the other big four worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers in the Caribbean and also KPMG. So I did that whole big four thing for about eight years, mostly auditing, but a little bit of management consulting as well. And then went into industry. I was a financial controller at a resort. So it was like real estate, marina, your typical Caribbean, you know, huge resort. And I loved that as well. Eventually, after the financial crash in 20, 2008, I made a little bit of a pivot into telecommunications, and that was pretty exciting as well. A lot more demanding and sort of more unfriendly than the hospitality industry. The thing about the hospitality industry is so we work very, very hard, but it's very friendly as well, whereas the telecommunications industry is a lot more sort of competitive when it's all about sort of landing those clients and hitting targets all the time. So anyway, after a few years of that, went back to hospitality. And when I turned 40 back in 2015, I just kind of felt a little stirring in my spirit. I can't explain exactly what it was. I had just been given a raise. I was actually changing companies under the same umbrella. And very excited to be doing what I was doing, but I just felt that something wasn't quite right. And for no good reason at all, I decided to resign from my job and head back home to my home island of Antigua and Barbuda. And wouldn't you know it, within a few days, my very good friend, who is an Italian Antiguan, suggested I meet a Frenchman who was visiting at the time and actually staying in the same neighborhood as me. And I was like, well, I'm not going to call him, but if you want and you trust him, you can give him my number and we can see where that goes. And he called me up and we decided to meet up for a sushi. And basically the rest is history. We fell in love that same night. And <laughs> although I got a job straight away and moved to another island, another telecoms company, he decided to move there with me. And so six months after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this whole love thing a try. And we moved to France. <laughs> we got married shortly after. And within a year, I was just sort of a housewife. I didn't speak any French, so I'm learning the language. And started experimenting a little bit with a 100-day art project. So it started literally with some squiggles and colored pencils. And a few days later, I started with a portrait and literally the world sort of shifted for me. And I just felt like this is something I can really explore. And I talked to my husband about it and he was totally supportive. And he's like, let's go get some art supplies. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. And here I am today. 
So we've got a few things to unpack there. We've got a love story. We've got an adventure. And for those of our listeners that are only able to hear on audio and not video, you would not believe Joya if she told you that she was 40, which I'm able to see. So, That's so kind of you. Again, I'm actually 47 now. But yeah. So don't believe her. I'm already suspicious. She looks far younger. But OK, so that is such a cool story, by the way. I guess starting with kind of like the art, right? Is this something you had always been interested in as a kid or is this like a totally new thing when you moved to France? You know, I think like most kids love art. Every kid that I've ever met loves drawing and using crayons and that kind of thing. And I was no different. And maybe it was a little bit better or I don't know. I just remember that I placed in a sailing week art competition one time when I was around eight years old. So that's not a great you know, recommendation. But by the time I was maybe 11, there was nothing. There was no drawing. There was no painting. There was nothing. I went to a private high school and it was sort of in the middle of changing from having the nuns to being more of a lay school. And so a lot of the quality kind of dropped off a bit and a lot of the things that were previously offered in the curriculum and which are offered today weren't at that time. So we didn't have an art program at all. And so all through high school, I didn't have the opportunity to do that in a classroom setting. And I certainly didn't do it on my own either. But after high school, we have a program called A-Level, which is like kind of like a junior college. And my second year in, I sort of on a whim decided to sign up for art, which was kind of this really stupid thing to do, but my parents supported me. I dropped chemistry and took up art and I put together a two-year portfolio in sort of something like six weeks. And this was completely new for me. I'd never used any of the materials before, and I was super proud of myself for doing this. But I ended up with a C grade. And so I was like, okay, I guess you're not as good as you thought you were. Forget about that art stuff. And just kind of continued along my merry way, <laughs> studying accounting and physics and whatever else, and forgetting all about art, literally for 25 years. So I did not pick up a paintbrush or a sketch or nothing at all for 25 years. Wow. Until this project. And literally, if I show you my first 10 things that I did, you would not look at this. You would never say, OK, there might be some talent there. You just thought, <laughs> OK, this is just somebody in her 40s deciding to experiment with something. So it's quite miraculous. And that's why human beings are capable of anything. If there's anything that you really love and that you want to learn, if you commit to it, you can. Because I have developed all the skills I have just through practice and through devotion by loving it. That's incredible. And I couldn't agree more. And for those of you that haven't seen Joy's work, it is incredible. She often shares her portraits on LinkedIn. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's talk a little bit about that, though, because so you move to France. So you do two things, which is one, take up, which seems like an entirely new kind of skill to learn and to but you did have the added advantage of loving it, which is good. And then you start your business. So I guess, how long did it take before you started your business? And this became, I guess, from a passion project to an actual business? Okay, so that took two years. When I started, I literally, I kind of shot up the mountain. The work that I produced in those first few months, honestly, I don't know how I did it. I look back and I think like, wow, but it was total fun. There was flow. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of flow, but it really is different when it comes to, I think, art and music more so than I've ever experienced in my work life before. So that was pretty incredible. And then of course the doubt starts to come in, you know, it's like, 
oh my god wow <laughs> i sold my first few paintings like right off the bat and i was like wow okay uh does this mean i could be an artist and that's when it kind of really became scary by the beginning of the next year i was painting less I was scared of just sort of filling up my entire house with just canvas upon canvas. <laughs> and I just didn't believe in myself. You know, it's like, what are you doing? You're an accountant, you're a manager, you're, what are you doing? You know, and it was just really, really terrifying for me. And so I went smaller, I experimented more, I quit social media. I was like, just really scared to tell you the truth. I was like, I didn't think I could be an artist. I'm an extrovert. I love being around people my ego was extremely attached to my job and just the power and the responsibility and the deadlines. Being an artist is really solitary. It's lonely and it's intimidating because there's no one there to say, okay, you've done a good job. There's no sort of benchmark. You know, you may have people who say, oh, that's great, but what's the standard? There is no actual standard to say, if you're really good, if this piece is really good, how are you going to be measuring yourself? And so I really struggled with that. But eventually in 2019, I said, okay, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to see if I can paint every single day. If I have what it takes to actually do this as a career, if I have that kind of discipline, and if I love it enough without getting bored, if I can make it through the end of this year, then I will make this my business. I'll make this my new career. But it actually only took me until May to be sure. So by May, I was like, okay, I love this. I think I can do this for the rest of my life. And I think I can apply the pressure to actually make some kind of money, make it a new career. And so it, literally two years after I started, just with my first little scribble, I decided I went and registered myself as an artist here in France. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about struggling with the ego thing, because I think that's an interesting point that you just made a lot of people struggle with call it going from consulting or going from finance to and then fill in the it could be anything right it could be just a different job right it, it could even be someone has a child and they're gonna become a stay-at-home dad or mom right so how did you struggle and handle the ego thing yeah it really was a struggle and to be honest i still struggle a little bit with that if you're a high performer if you're a go-getter if you're that type a personality you're defined by very specific things. There are very specific things that you're going, and I've always been this way. I was a terrible student, but the moment I started working, I was a star. I wanted to be a star. I worked really hard. Like I would say that somebody can be smarter than me, but they're not going to outwork me, you know? And I wasn't a victim. I just loved it. I was thirsty to learn and just like thirsty to be the best at what I was doing. So for me, even leaving consulting to go into industry, I never got to the point where I burned out of audit. I loved every day I went to work. I loved serving my clients. Some of them didn't like that very much because that was back in the day when the consulting side was a little bit fuzzy with accounting. So we'd have these huge management letters at the end of every audit. And that was like my thrill. Yeah. <laughs> loved that. <laughs> Not having that kind of immediate feedback and the big salary and the promotions every six months can be tough. I mean, entrepreneurs, I think, are a different breed, maybe, because they're sort of probably rebels a little bit. They're okay with not necessarily being conservative. And I love that about that. They're natural risk takers. I see myself as more of an entrepreneur. 
So I don't necessarily have that independent spirit. And I kind of like helping the entrepreneur meet their goals, helping a business meet its goals. So stepping away from that completely was really, really difficult. But I think it's important to recognize what's going on with yourself. One of the books that really helped me in this journey was Susan Cain's book, Quiet. And what I really learned from that book was that there, although I'm a quote unquote extrovert, inside of all of us, there's a quiet element. There's that introvert sort of lodged inside of each of us. And it do us good to learn to tap into that person. And I thought back at all the people I've worked with in the past and all the opportunities I may have missed from introverts on my team who maybe I didn't sort of nudge out of their shell a little bit more. And I thought, okay, what if I tap into that introvert inside of me and bring those strengths to the floor now? All of the other strengths have already shone. Now I have an opportunity to bring that other side of myself and bring out some additional strengths. So I took that as a little bit of a challenge as well. Also, I had to disconnect from some of the voices and the expectations. I actually had somebody say to me, thankfully not a lot of people, but somebody said to me like, so when are you gonna get like a real job? <laughs> they were like disappointed. This is somebody maybe 15 years younger than me that kind of looked up to me as a mentor. And I guess he was just kind of disappointed to see me throwing it all away <laughs> for oh, <art>. no. <laughs> I mean, I guess there may have been other people, but thankfully nobody said it to my face. But yeah. I did have to sort of step away from that image of myself that I kind of built up in the eyes of others and said, okay, who are you going to be for yourself now? This is something you love, but it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice in order to achieve it. And so that was part of the journey for me. And I think it's important for anybody making that switch to learn to center themselves, to quiet the noise. I also, Harry Fairy, took up meditation and I did that every day for almost five years, at least four years. I actually don't meditate every day now. And that started sort of Earlier this year, I started exercising more and maybe that's taken a little bit of the edge off. I'm not really sure, but I feel just as centered without doing it. But there was a time when I absolutely had to do it just to quiet the anxiety and be able to put myself into a position where I could paint. I journaled every day as well. So I started doing some things that I kind of always longed to do, but maybe didn't do before in order to take on this kind of new me. It was almost like putting on a new personality almost to venture off into this new thing, art, which is a quiet métier, something that is solitary, something that depends on going inside of my core and finding creativity, as opposed to just trying to impress others and trying to sort of hit targets and meet budgets and hit marketing targets like I did before for the last 20 years of my life. Well, thanks for sharing that, especially that kind of concept that you shared with the book Quiet. That's a unique perspective I actually haven't heard before because as an extrovert myself, I actually get kind of wrapped up in some of the same things, right? And I like benchmarks. I like to be able to see progress, right? I like metrics. It makes me feel better. And I never actually thought about it from that perspective. You talked about you meditated for five years consistently. How did you do that? I started off literally with one minute. 
And because it was so okay. hard, I couldn't do it. I mean, I think I maybe tried the first 10 minutes or something, and I realized that my mind was just really wandering all the time, and it was just becoming not good. So I started by setting a timer for just one minute. I maybe only did one minute for three days before moving to something like three minutes, and then five minutes, and then 10 minutes, and then 15 minutes. I actually went to 12 and a half minutes at one point before oh, going wow. to 15 minutes. So I know a lot of people do long meditation sessions of a half an hour or 45 minutes or whatever. I never went to that and I didn't feel like I needed it. 10 minutes was actually perfect for me just to achieve that. And some people use music. I don't remember if I did in the beginning. I don't think so. But I started off just going slowly. And at the okay. time, even before Atomic Habits came out, I used to follow James Clear's website. And he actually had oh, really? two, yeah, he had two ebooks before. I don't think they're available anymore they, because I noticed that my rating on one of them on Goodreads actually switched automatically to Atomic Habits, but they were very, very good, very small, but they had yeah. sort of all those little things in them. And so that's where I kind of got the concept of doing things sort of every day. I mean, before, I don't know if is it Steve Martin, no, it's Jerry Seinfeld, I think, has that thing of you do it every day, don't break the chain. So check, check, yeah. check, check, check. Like, I remember one time I went gluten-free for 540 days. And on the five, <laughs> or is it 640 days? And on the 641st day, I was going through the airport in Barbados and decided to have some KFC of all things. And once I did that... <laughs> That was the end of my gluten-free journey. But with James Clear, his whole thing was, it's not about, I mean, not breaking the chain is something he recommends as well. Yeah. But instead of just like falling off the boat completely, like yeah. track your progress over time. And so we talked about metrics. Trust me, I still have major metrics. Airtable is my best friend. <laughs> my entire okay. life is on Airtable. I track every single hour that I paint. I'm very deadline focused. So all my clients know exactly when the painting is going to be done. I'm not like the artist that says, you know, well, I don't, you know, wait for inspiration to hit me. I'm painting every day. Right. So somebody asked me recently, do you see what you do as like a calling a job or a career? Well, it's all three for me because I treat sure. it like a job. My yeah. workspace is there and I treat it like if I'm being paid to do what I do because I am, but it's also a calling and it's a passion. It's a career as well. I kind of gone off track there. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Go off track. That's why we're here. But I think it's so important just to start small and work on consistency and whatever we're wanting to do. So, and that's how I've started exercising for the first time, basically, since I was a teenager as well. I just do a 10 minute workout and now it's become a 30 minute workout and I actually really love it. Can't believe I'm actually saying that, but starting small, starting simple and going for consistency is something that I think works for almost anything. Okay. No, I was asking partially out of self-interest because it was actually that book, Atomic Habits, that has kind of like led me to make a lot of changes and actually discover some of the things that I'm good at and why I'm good at them. Right. And it's like, oh, shoot. Okay. I'm very physically flexible and like abnormally so. And it's like people always ask me and I never actually realized it's, oh, because I do it every day for like 20 minutes. But on the meditation thing, I've sucked. I've tried to start and stop forever. And I think it's because I have these like insane, unattainable goals. And so now my new thing is my thing is, okay, 
for this year, I'm just going to do 10 breaths. That's it. I don't do a timer. I just like 10 breaths every day. And I don't let myself have a coffee until, <laughs> so I like, I'm not allowed to have my That's the habit coffee. stacking, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, whenever I hear someone's like consistent, I'm like, oh, tell me your secret. So cool. Awesome. Maybe well, you okay, don't so need it though. Maybe you don't need it. Like sometimes really? we, we pressure ourselves to do things. And that's also something that I learned. Like trusting yourself is really important. Like trusting okay. what you need, trusting where your heart is leading. If we have everything sort of mapped out on paper or on a spreadsheet or on a list of must-haves, then it doesn't really leave much room for the epiphanies and the magical moments. Yeah. If I had sort of... If Meeting I the man in your dreams out, and moving to France, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, I trusted myself to be like, uh, let's move on, you know? And it was insane, but yeah, I did it. Like, no regrets whatsoever. <laughs> That's a really good point, too. Yeah, because spontaneity is, uh, I'm totally going off track now here, too, because he's a famous artist, and I have no clue what he, there's the guy that got his ear cut off. Oh, Van Gogh. Yeah, and he actually used to say something about, oh, I'm totally going to butcher this because I'm, I have no realm to talk about art history, but basically, it was like, he was a creature of habit, and then I think something about creativity actually comes from, like, that habits and then going outside of your habits or something like that. Um, you know what, I... Have haven't heard that quote, but I'm going to look it up. I'm actually reading a biography of Van Gogh at the moment, but it's a bit depressing. So I'm going very, very slowly. Oh, wow. Okay. So let's now, I guess, transition to kind of your business now, because you mentioned that it's not just about kind of being a creative artist and everything, and you have deadlines and everything like that. How did you kind of start, I guess, with your first client? And then how did you build your business? Okay. So my first client came along before I actually launched the business. So it wasn't something that I was doing necessarily. It was just that a couple of people asked me if I would oh, okay. paint a loved one. And once I did start, I put on an exhibition here in France and I quickly realized that it wasn't going to work. If I was going to try to sell my art here in France, that was just not going to work, especially not where we were living. So I could have gone the route of trying to find a gallery and all of that. And there were a few galleries that were interested, but I just decided, you know what? I don't even know why I made that decision to be quite honest or how, because I was doing a few commissions, but then I just kind of made this snap decision at the end of that exhibition to go straight into looking for commissions. So that's when I started my LinkedIn journey. I mean, I'd been on LinkedIn since 2008, but I sort okay. of ramped up my presence on LinkedIn from that point and by around October or November of 2019 just a few months after really pursuing it the orders just started flowing in I was before oh, wow. the end Inbound. of the year yeah before the end of the year I was booked until the following June so oh, wow yeah it was amazing so I was like okay I guess this is gonna work here we go and what specifically were you doing on LinkedIn? Because I know you have like 36,000 followers on LinkedIn. Like you have quite a presence and a lot of the stuff that you put out is obviously very compelling. What's kind of like working, not working? Be curious to learn more. To be honest, at that time, because that's now something that I'm asking myself because I've kind of gone back and looked at everything and I literally have every single post that I've ever posted in Airtable. And I did post a lot back then, but it was like LinkedIn was a different creature back then. I would post just a painting with me next to it and it would get like 
150,000 views, 180,000 views. The exposure wow. was just immense at the time. That's virtually impossible now. I okay. do have a few posts that go, not viral, but they'll reach 100,000 or something like that. Mostly now it's just the personal stories that ignite with people, amazingly enough. The thing is, at the time, I could post a lot of artwork, a lot of me painting, because I had footage preparing for my exhibition, and I could post that. Now, like, okay, the painting I'm working on right now, I can share it, but it's rare. Normally, my paintings for clients, they're going to be gifts, they're surprises, and I can't share as I go. So it's been like, oh, when I went back and looked at what did really well, I'm like, oh, it's because I'm posting progress, 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 and people are kind of watching the paintings unfold, you know, and it was really interesting to watch. And so I'm like, okay, (laughs) how do I get some more of that going in? Because basically, I made a post recently about the SSI. Back then, my SSI was 89. Then at the end of May, it had gone down to 70, my social selling SSI. index. Oh, okay, social, social selling okay. index. And what is a social selling index? Basically, it's a number that LinkedIn gives to you based on your activities. It's mostly for salespeople, but it kind of gauges the power that you have on LinkedIn. It's the power of your okay. brand and it affects your reach. So when you post something, you have a high SSI, a lot of people are in your network and outside your network are going to see what you post immediately. So the higher SSI is, the faster and the more views you'll get. So the algorithm changed, I think about a year and a half ago, it changed last year and I'm hearing rumblings that it's been changed again this year. So it's becoming tougher and tougher and tougher to do business, at least for my kind of thing where it's very visual on LinkedIn. So I have been looking at ways to bring it back up because I was down at 70. So it had dropped like 19 points. So I've managed to get it back up to 80. But not so much through posting. I'm posting a little bit more, but more through making contact with people that I know, with okay. sending out endorsements, with having conversations, that kind of thing. So I think LinkedIn values communication very, very highly. And that was something that I did in the beginning when I didn't have a lot of followers. I communicated a lot with the people who responded to my posts and so forth. And I had a lot of interaction. And I think that always goes a long way, unlike maybe some of the other platforms. Okay, it's funny that you mentioned that because I feel like I used to see your content a little bit more, I don't know, call it 12, 18 months ago, at least at frequency now. And again, for those of our listeners who haven't seen Joya's work, it's incredible. Check it out. We'll get to the information at the end and we'll also drop it in the description. But for those of us that don't know, because I actually don't know. So social selling index, how do you figure out what that is? And then you mentioned you were working on improving it because the algorithm changed. How would one determine your SSI? Okay, so it's a really simple link. It's linkedin.com slash sales slash SSI. I hope okay. I got that right. Sales slash SSI. Okay. So you click on that, and once you log into LinkedIn, it will click on it right away, and it will show you your score. Wow. And it's broken down into four compartments. It's something like, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but something like engaging with insights, connecting with the right people, developing your brand, something like that, and communication. So it has four different separate areas. And each one is worth 25 points. So you have a score out of 25 for each of those. And it also tells you what percentage you are in your industry. So I'm like always 1% in terms of artists and writers, but I fell down to like 
5% of my total network. So if you don't have a really powerful network, you're going to score higher. Obviously, if you have a lot of high powered people in your network, it's going to be harder to be in that 1%. I've just managed to get back up into that 1%. But if I have a network of 30,000 people, that's still the top 3,000. So think about it. If in my own network, I'm among the top 3,000, but there may be 3,000 people ahead of me in terms of who's going to see my content in the feed if they have an identical network to mine. So that's probably one of the reasons that you don't see my work as often. LinkedIn has grown, I think, and the engagement in LinkedIn has grown incredibly over the last two years. So there's just more people on there, more content. And of course, LinkedIn itself, they're encouraging people to become more active on the platform. And so the competition, if you want to look at it that way, is a lot tougher than it was. So click on that link and then you'll see the two percentage points and then you'll see what your score is in each of those four areas. And I was told initially that, oh, it's a vanity metric. It doesn't really matter. And so I didn't keep track of it. You know, I occasionally went on and did a little snapshot. Now I track it every single day on my air table. (laughs) (laughs) And I track the four compartments as well to see where I'm doing well. So I've become kind of maniacal about it. I had to take a break last week because I was just like spending way too much time on LinkedIn just trying to get that score back up. So yeah, so that's a little bit about the uh, social selling index on LinkedIn. Excellent. And if anything, you're making me and probably our listeners feel a little bit more sane because when I invited you on the show, I was like, wow, this is going to be a very different guest. She's goes from consulting to artists. And here you are tracking metrics on a daily basis. In a way, I feel relieved, Joya. So that's really interesting in terms of kind of how you develop your clients and everything like that. And tell us a little bit about like the type of work that you get It's primarily portraits as from what I've seen. But tell me if I'm mistaken. Yeah, I only paint portraits. I am literally not interested in painting anything else but portraits. Like I'm working on this portrait right now and it's a dad hiking in the woods with his little son on his back. And so there are lots of trees and stuff. It's literally a forest. Okay, I have to paint a forest, but it's all for the benefit of the portrait itself. So I only offer portraits to my clients. And a lot of them are sort of like memorial portraits, which I enjoy doing. So I work from sort of old photographs to bring a lost mother or father or grandfather back to life. Sometimes I do sort of group portraits with families, which would involve sort of putting a bunch of photographs together for three or five or six people. I do children, (laughs) I do cats and dogs and birds and couples. I've done a few sort of wedding portraits, which are really cool because they're so romantic. And I have, I think every bone in my body is a romantic one. So yeah, so only portraits of every kind, corporate portraits. I've done a few public portraits as well, sort of for organizations, one for the Caribbean Central Bank. So yeah, just any kind of portrait you can think of. I am not sort of the classically trained portraitist. So I enjoy the sort of very classical look, but growing up like Van Gogh was my favorite artist. So I love color and I love movement. And so my style varies with according to what the client wants and according to what they want to get out of the portrait, where they want to put it, what it means to them. So I don't necessarily have just sort of one look or go with the very old fashioned state. You need to be in a certain three quarter position for a portrait to be great. I'm very open about that in my approach. Excellent. And maybe just tell us a little bit about your process, because I'm sure it's not just send me a photo, right? When you work with someone, what's it like? 
Okay, so, I mean, I try to have a conversation with them. They must have some photos, obviously, to work with. <laughs> You're also not psychic? <laughs> I'm not psychic, you know. I mean, I have had a few requests like that. <laughs> like, I've had a few requests for sort of very sort of esoteric portraits or sure. even religious <laughs> texts. That's not really my strength. I know a few other artists who like concentrate on religious themes, so I would direct them you know, their way. Um, so yeah, so we have a conversation. That's the first thing. I want to find out what they're looking for and what they see in me, what they're attracted to, because it's amazing. Mm. The range of, oh, I really liked this painting and this is what I'm looking for. And somebody's at the other end of the spectrum completely. So that's really interesting. Some people want to go monochrome. Next painting I'm going to be working on is a black and white portrait, which isn't typical for a portraitist, but I really enjoy working with no color as well because there's just so much going on there. So the first yeah. thing is that conversation and who the portrait is going to be of, what that person meant to them, their personality, if the portrait is meant for a specific space, obviously the size has a huge impact on what we're going to be doing. Sometimes the client literally has no idea what they want to present. And, you know, I had one client who sent me an entire Google album. It must have had thousands of pictures in there of his wife. You decide, right? <laughs> kind of like, you know, so, okay, figuring out, okay, but first you need to talk to them because what I might like is not necessarily what are you attracted to and what fascinates you about your wife? What are the features? Is it her eyes, her hair, the way she dresses? What is her presence like? To bring those things out in the and I think that's what my clients appreciate most about my work. The fact that they can look at this painting and almost feel the presence of that person, their personality, literally almost coming through the canvas. So that's what I try to go for. Likeness is really important to me and not necessarily just photographic likeness, but a sense of who that person is. Excellent. And then how long does it typically take for you to do a portrait? I'm sure that it varies significantly by size and composition and all that sort of stuff. But talk to us a little bit about that. I would say on average, uh, six weeks. Obviously, some projects take a lot longer and some are shorter. I've never had sort of the joy of working on a portrait for over a year, although there are many portrait artists that I follow and admire who do take over a year to finish. I can't imagine what that must be like. Yeah, so six weeks in general, but of course the actual delivery time is different because it depends on how much I have on my timetable booked at the moment. So the actual portrait takes that long, but it may take four or five months from signing the contract to actually completing the portrait based on my workload. That's incredible. And I guess stepping back a little bit to the business side of things, a lot of our listeners are interested in like something called like the quote unquote side hustle or something like that, right? Where it's like they're still in consulting or maybe they're in a job after consulting and that's they're going to on the side kind of pursue a business like yours. It seems to me, I guess, like you really need to kind of like from your perspective, focus to succeed. But I guess tell me if I'm picking up that incorrectly. I think you do need to focus to succeed, but I think that to be successful in any business, you have to wear different hats. I don't know if you've ever read that book, The E-Myth Revisited. I have not. You're dropping all sorts of good books. I'm really excited to read this. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the authors, but I mean, once you type that in, you'll find it. Yeah, um, sure. But the principle behind that is that their theory is that you should almost always build a business as if you were going to make it into um, 
oh gosh, what's the word? Like Madonna's a teen. It's a franchise. A franchise. Thank you. It's so close to French. That, but yeah, that one was easy for me. I'm not very good with vocab, but yeah, but it's crazy though. Learning another language, I think it squeezes out some of my <laughs> like the like essentials. Yeah, thousands of words, new words in French. Suddenly, like my basic English gets squeezed out. So franchise. So you should build your business as if you're building a franchise. Which okay. means that you need to have that marketing, you need to have that accounting. And obviously, you can't just pick one initially. If you're doing it yourself, you have to wear all those hats. It doesn't mean you're going to be any less focused at the core of your business. But if you don't do marketing as a business person, you're never going to grow. It's just absolutely essential. If you don't keep track of your numbers and the administrative side of things, you're never going to grow and you have to do sales as well. So. While I'm focusing on my painting, I've always been focused on the other thing as well, which I really don't enjoy. Like last week was not cool. I was dying. Like this weekend, it was just like wake up early, go into the studio. You can actually do the work that you want to do. You can actually do the work I want to do and I love it. But this is not play. This is work. So there are going to be some things that you don't like necessarily. And so when people ask me about painting or whatever, you start small, like devote one day devote a Saturday morning to it or devote 30 minutes to it each evening, but be committed and be consistent. So it's not necessarily about putting out huge amounts of effort, especially if it's starting out as a side hustle. Start out small, but be committed. That is absolutely what will get you there. I mean, little by little, those hours are going to add up. So yeah, side hustle, definitely doable. But the commitment is necessary. The consistency is absolutely necessary. And that's the hard part sometimes. It's just hard to be motivated, as you said, with the meditation example you gave earlier, just to do it. You don't want to, but tie it to reward, whatever, but just get it done. Put it on a thing and just tick your box every day, whatever you've committed to, your 10 breaths or your 30 minutes of whatever, and get it done. Excellent. No, that's great advice. And then I guess the other piece of advice I'm curious about is say someone has gone and moved to France and quit their job and married the man or woman of their dreams and they want to do something new. What's the one thing that you would tell them, especially like for our audience that's coming out of kind of a very kind of like professionalized consulting environment? You know, I would say follow your bliss. And if you don't know what your bliss is, explore until you find it, but actively explore. I'm from the Caribbean and I watch a lot of people come to the Caribbean and literally just kind of fall apart. They become alcoholics, they become involved in drugs, and it's because they're not active in anything. They're forgetting what's making their life tick. They become disconnected from their careers or whatever, and it just mm -hmm. kind of always it falls apart. This is my recommendation for people who are going to a retirement as well. Find something new that you love, that you can put your energy and passion into, that you can also grow in. I think that's absolutely important. The ability to grow and feel that level of challenge, even if it's not necessarily something that you held in high esteem before. If you love it, if there's a genuine interest in it, get involved and start and be consistent, you know, so it could be, I don't know, maybe you want to open a maternelle, maybe you want to take care of little kids, maybe you've loved animals and you want to open a grooming service. I don't know, it could be anything, but you have to kind of fall into what you love. And there are so many ways to explore that, whether it's Instagram or Pinterest or just the internet and take note of what you're liking, take note of what your heart is following and then see how that can develop because that's what happened for me very organically, but I kind of listened to that and I wasn't afraid to just start and start very, very small 
without any art materials. It was just literally whatever colored pencil I found in the pencil stack somewhere. I had no art materials. It was just a random piece of stationery. I didn't go out and buy art materials and then start. I started and then I gradually added the art materials. So start before you're ready and follow your bliss. See where your heart is leading and calling you. I love that advice, especially around two things. One is make it active, right? So you're intentional about it. And then the second is it's got to be something you can grow in, right? So if it's collecting pebbles, right? Like <laughs> there's probably not a lot of room to grow there. But if it's painting beautiful portraits, the growth potential is infinite, as you've demonstrated. Joya, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I guess it's evening where you are. I guess I just wanted to wrap up with your details. So if someone were interested in getting a portrait with you, how would they do that? Tell us all about kind of how we how we find you. Okay, so LinkedIn is kind of my social media home. I have a presence pretty much everywhere. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. All right, let's go through them. Let's go through the okay, so LinkedIn. It's like twitter.com slash Joya Cousin. All right, so that's J-O-Y-A-C-O-U-S-I-N, right? That's right. Thank okay. you. <laughs> so on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, basically all the different feeds. Yeah, LinkedIn is my home. Most of my clients just message me on LinkedIn and okay. we go from there. We set up a meeting, a Zoom meeting and have that first conversation. We talk about what they're looking for and go from there. So it's a really simple process. And of course, it's very personal. I literally feel like I'm falling in love with the person I'm painting every time. So I want to hear about them and I want to hear about what the PG is going to mean to my client. So it's a kind of an intimate thing, that artist relationship with the client, I think. At least for me, it is. That's really beautiful. Joya, you've done an amazing thing, which is you've married up professionalism with creativity and beauty. It's really an admirable thing. Listeners, definitely check out Joya's LinkedIn page as well. And if you're thinking about getting that portrait, definitely do it. And for those of you listening for the first time, please make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon so that you can be notified of future podcasts. And then if you're interested in looking for past episodes, it's going to be beyondconsulting.info. And if you want to get in touch with me or anybody else at ECA, it's eca-partners.com. Each week I get to interview folks like Joya that have gone from consulting to much more interesting things in life. Until next week, we will talk to you then. <laughs>